You are listening to An Unexpected Fight, a pediatric cancer podcast. My name is Tiffany McConathy. And I'm Katrina Withers, and we will be your host. Thank you for joining us today. We have an exciting episode for you. We are so excited to introduce you to today's first guest. She is one of Hot Springs' best pediatricians. Our first guest today is Dr. Jen. Dr. Cannon graduated from the Cornell University with a bachelor degree in biological sciences. She was then commissioned as an officer in the United States Navy. So basically, she's a bad A. <laughs> After her service in the military and a brief stint in biomedical research, she completed med- her medical degree at the University of North Texas Health Science Center with an internship at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles and finished her residency at the Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital of New York. She worked in rural South Carolina with the National Health Service Corps and moved to Hot Springs in 2016, where she began working at Hot Springs Pediatric Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Cannon. Why, thank you. We are so happy to have you here, and we are so excited to get to talk to you today. So our first question for you is, what sparked your interest in pediatrics? Great question. I get that a lot, actually. Um, so I will say that I always, I, I was always good with kids. I mean, I grew up and was a babysitter and a nanny, you know, during the summers. And, you know, kids and I always just got along. And then as I was going through my medical training, um, you know, everything was kind of really interesting. You know, I liked psychiatry. I liked gynecology. I liked all of that stuff. But I just sort of gravitated towards, you know, pediatrics because, again, I was used to kids. And there were some moments that my friends and I always laugh about that you could tell that kids just like me. You know, it's kind of like people who are good with animals, right? Animals can tell whether you're a good animal person because they're not afraid of you. Well, random kids would come up to me in the weirdest situations. Like we were <laughs> riding in an elevator once and this poor kid like reached up and held my hand. I mean, clearly they were, you know, <laughs> nervous about something and I was a total stranger, but recognized that I was a safe space and just held my hand and we were all studying in a park once and, you know, a kid just came up and, you know, sat next to me and, and just started, you know, playing in my lap kind of thing. And the family rushed over. They're like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, 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 this happens all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that I always just got them and they got me. And when you're learning medicine and everything, you know, it, there's exciting parts of everything, but um, you kind of have to figure out what is going to bore you the least, Right. Because yes. if you do the same thing over and over again, it's like surgeons, you know, it's like they're super excited to do their first appendectomy. But, you know, by the time they're doing their 50th, it's like, oh, my gosh, how many more can I do? Um, so with kids, it's excellent problem solving. I mean, basically, you take this tiny little thing who can't really tell you what's going on. And you've got to use all your powers of deduction to figure it out. So there is never a dull moment when it comes to kids. Plus, they're just fun. So, I mean, they say the darndest things and make you laugh and not a day goes by that, you know, my clinic doesn't have a good, you know, like deep belly laugh <laughs> or something that one of the kids said on their way out or, you know, did. And it's just so fun. So, I mean, we, I've never been bored in my career. I know plenty of doctors who are kind of over it and are, you know, burnt out already. And, you know, I just kind of sit back and count my lucky stars that I picked something that I truly love and, um, you know, I'm going to be able to do until I can't walk anymore. Well, being one of your, um, 
patients or not me, my son being one of your patients, he loves you and we've had a great experience. So I can certainly attest to everything that you're saying. Um, what's been your most memorable experience in the clinical setting? Oh, that's tough. I mean, it, it's always the ones that, you know, you had to figure out, um, you know, the, the run of the mill stuff when I get to just interact with patients and we're just doing their well checks. I mean, those are great. And, and I love that because you get to see healthy kids. Um, and that's another balance that is great in primary care is you're not just seeing the sickest of the sick. But when you do have those cases that have come in and, and you're helping that family navigate through some really difficult waters and, you know, putting your heads together, then, I mean, those are the ones that you take home at night. Um, and, you know, and sometimes you've got to be willing to say, I don't know, but, you know, let's let's work this out together. Let's figure it out. And I think that's what patients and parents need to hear, too. I mean, kids are, again, they can't tell you what's going on. And so having to piece things together is, is what keeps you on your toes and, and keeps you interested. And I mean, I have a laundry list of, of patients that have had the weird things happen to them, but thankfully we've figured it out. Um, and, you know, there's been a couple where we haven't, but we've, we've tried our hardest to do so. And I think that's, that's what lets you go home at night and, and sleep in your bed and, and not lose sleep because you know, you've, you've done the, mo the best you can. That's amazing. So we hear often that pediatric cancer is rare. Have you diagnosed any children with cancer in your practice? And do you feel it's as rare as society suggests? You know, I have diagnosed cancer. And I mean, those are some of your worst days when you kind of have this idea of what it is and, and you're hoping and praying that it isn't. And then sometimes you'll get a lab back or you'll get something back and, and it, it confirms what you were what you're worried about. Um, you know, it, it's hard to classify rare um, because if you're the person that it happened to, that's not rare. Um, and it's, you know, living every single day, every breath you take, it is, you know, hot on your mind. Um, you know, the, I think that with a lot of our public health um, initiatives and a lot of improved health standards, I would hope that we have moved the needle a little bit so that our kids are by and large healthier than they used to. Um, I mean, I can say that in terms of some of the typical uh, illnesses that we used to all think about, meningitis and pneumonia. I mean, those things are rare now. I mean, I don't, I don't diagnose those things very often, um, <clears throat> but I don't know that cancer, I don't know that the, the needle has been moved that much. And I think that there is definitely environmental factors that we're coming to understand um, and I think there are things that we're doing. I mean, I just read an article that is sort of a republished study of things that we've known for a while in that, you know, if you're a child who has had a single head CT in your life, that your chances of developing brain cancer go up astronomically. And that is a huge factor when you think about going to the ER. You know, how many times have we had a kid who fell off the bed and somebody is worried about a concussion and we just say, oh, let's just CT their head. Or, you know, they have some sort of, um, you know, event where they're altered. And I think it's so easy for other people who aren't in pediatrics or aren't dealing with pediatric cancer to, to immediately go to something like that. Like, a, uh, but the, the radiation um, exposure is, is huge. So we, hopefully we as a 
pediatric community and, you know, the doctors are, are getting wiser about that and, and being much more stingy about some of those things. I mean, we're already very stingy about antibiotics because we've found that the overuse of antibiotics has led to a lot of, of health problems in, in our generation. And so hopefully the newer generation of our children are getting treated less um, because we don't want to create those superbugs or put them at risk for inflammatory bowel disease later on. So I think as we learn about those things, which we all thought were maybe seemingly harmless, turns out they're harmful and we're trying to, to keep that away. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know the actual numbers. I couldn't say that one particular cancer is, is popping up more than others, but I do hear about it. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's always been there. It's just a matter of how, how much we're treating and, and how much we're diagnosing. I mean, think about so many kids who have probably had some sort of cancer along the way and, and nobody knew, I mean, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Absolutely. So to go Absolutely. off your scan conversation and, you know, for parents to do when someone does recommend a CT immediately, you know, in the ER or whatever, like, is there a certain situation that you would say, yes, that's worth it or no, it's not? Yeah, I think, you know, it's like when you go have a baby and, and you read these books and you're supposed to ask, what would I do if I waited another hour? Um, I think parents should be empowered to ask those questions. And, right. and, and I'll use the ER and, and I hate to throw them under the bus because, I mean, I know a lot of ER physicians who are very good at what they do, but a lot of what they have to do now is based on legal medicine, right? So they don't want to miss anything because they're afraid that they're going to, you know, miss something and get sued. And so, you know, if you go into the ER as a kid with a fever, I mean, you end up getting a million dollar workup. You get blood work, you get everything tested and, you know, you get all of this workup when honestly, if you had an ear infection, somebody just needed to look in your ear. Um, but because ERs are being used as urgent care clinics and, um, you know, people have to, again, sort of cover their bases. They're, they're ordering a lot of tests. They're getting a lot of stuff done. So I've always told my patients, you know, if you end up in a situation in the ER, um, you know, ask them if this is necessary. You know, will this, it, it, here's a good management, here's a good question. Will this change your management? Okay, so that happens all the time. I'll have somebody come in and I want these tests and I can tell them, well, I mean, we can do them, but it's not going to change anything. You know, I'll use RSV as an example. RSV is awful. And, and, you know, we don't want kids to get RSV, but but it goes around and it's, it's a virus. And there is literally nothing that I can give you that will make that virus go away. So testing for RSV is simply academic. Yes, if I have to put somebody in the hospital and I need to know whether they need to be in isolation, I probably will test for RSV just so I can know for sure. But if they're having respiratory distress and, and it's RSV season, guess what? It's probably RSV and I don't need to test you to know that. That just runs up medical costs and it's not going to change what I do. We're going to treat it the same no matter what. So I think that's the question that parents should feel comfortable asking is, you know, is this absolutely necessary? Will this change your management? What if I wait? You know, like, is there something I can do right now? Do I treat this fever and then go follow up with my PCP in the morning? You know, is there something that I can do that will just keep them safe, but I can wait and see what, what is going to declare itself? 
So in your opinion, are children diagnosed in a timely manner? As we're talking about the ER visits and some common symptoms, can you talk about if you feel like they're diagnosed in a timely manner and maybe also talk about some of the common presenting symptoms that you might see in a child with cancer? Yeah, I, you know, again, <laughs> everybody is different. And I was having this conversation today with one of the patients in that um, you know, just because you have doctor in front of your name doesn't mean that you know what you're doing, sadly. Um, and there are a lot of people out there who um, are very well-intentioned that maybe haven't kept up with the latest and greatest medicine. Maybe they're not, um, you know, on their A game. So, I mean, things are definitely missed. Um, I think that if you have somebody who you trust and is willing to listen to you. So I think that's really the key to proper diagnosis. And a lot of these things is, again, when somebody can't tell you what's really hurting and what's going on, you have to listen to a lot of different things. You have to look at them, you have to examine them, you have to use your, your you know, again, your powers of deduction. They teach us in medical school to do what we call the differential diagnosis. So go through the list of all the possibilities that this could be, and then you systematically kind of cross them out. And, and cancer, again, is probably low on the list, depending on what the symptoms are. If you come in with a fever for a week and, um, you know, everybody else in your house is sick, it's probably not cancer. But if you come in and you look awful and you've been sick for a month and, you know, you're so fatigued and now you're bruising in places that you haven't bruised before, cancer is going to be higher on that list. And so you can't just blow it off and say, oh, this is just, a, you, know, um, you know, let's do this simple blood test or let's, you know, put you on iron. You must be anemic or something like that. I mean, I, I feel like that that is the, the easy scapegoat. But let's not forget that it could be leukemia, you know, it could be something else. So let's just do something simple, easy, non-invasive and rule that out. And then if, if it doesn't turn out to be that, that fantastic, you've crossed that off your list, but just not even addressing the list is the problem. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a variety of skills. I think that, um, you know, some people who are used to seeing, um, uh, different kinds of patients and and even have diagnosed cancer before, they probably feel more confident um, because they've seen it before. They, they remember that case. Um, but I mean, I think that there's going to be limitations. Everybody's going to make mistakes, but you never want to just blow it off. You need to listen. You need to hear what that parent has to say, because a lot of times there's a lot of information in there that is valuable. I love that. So what's the most important thing a parent could do once they received a diagnosis of cancer with their child? Yeah, I mean, that's devastating, right? I mean, and it's your, it's every parent's worst fear. Um, I think that, um, you know, as much as possible, you need to access your support group because you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. And I mean, there's going to be lots of stages of grief and denial and, you know, the whole nine yards, but you're going to need, you're going to need help. Um, you know, any kid who has cancer and has to undergo treatments, I mean, it's help. And you're going to need a lot, a lot of support, not only for yourself, but for that kid, because you got to stay strong. I mean, that's one thing. Kids are amazingly resilient when it comes to treatments and things, but they feed off of our emotions as well. And so if you're mm -hmm. supremely anxious and 
letting your emotions get away from you, then that's going to scare them. So I think going into a situation as positive as possible is, is key. Um, you know, one thing that we teach, you know, even in things like potty training is, you know, parents need to me- try to remain neutral about negative things, okay, because kids feed off of that, and then that develops fear and anxiety. So, I mean, even if your kid, I mean, knows how to use the potty and they had an accident, I tell parents all the time, it's like, try to be very neutral, just clean it up. But then once they do use the potty, you, you jump up and down, this is amazing, okay? So I think that's one of the things that parents can do as they go through all the treatment options is every little um, thing that is positive, make it a big deal. Okay. Keep that, keep that positive attitude because that's what they need in order to continue to fight. And if you have a setback or you have something that doesn't go your way, try to be as neutral as possible around the kid because they've got to keep that, that happy thought. They've got to keep that fight going. And if they sense that, you know, there's so much despair, it's going to breed that anxiety and it's going to make for worse outcomes. Uh, Absolutely. thought. So now we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, I'm going to read a couple of statistics for you guys. So, um, and kind of get your thoughts on this. According to the National Cancer Institute, 60 to 90% of children treated for cancer will experience at least one health problem and 20 to 80% will experience severe or life-threatening complications of treatment in adulthood. In the St. Jude Lifetime Cohort Study, by the age of 50 years, survivors of childhood cancer experienced an average of 17.1 chronic health conditions, 4.7 of which were severe or debilitating, life-threatening, or fatal. These side effects are related to to decades-old chemotherapy drugs used to treat cancer. In 2022, 37 novel drugs were approved by the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research to treat adult cancers. 20 novel drugs were introduced in 2016, 60 new products were approved in 2018, and around 50 approvals were for novel drugs in 2021. <clears throat> but since the early 19, 19- the FDA has only approved 50 drugs for the treatment of pediatric cancers. Hearing these statistics, do you feel like childhood cancer gets the attention it deserves in the medical community? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think those are extremely profound um, statistics. Um, As with any treatment for kids, there is so much rigor that is put into testing and and so much higher of a standard that has to um, be reached for anything to get approved. And and, and I'll give you an example, even in um, vaccines, you know, vaccines that are approved for adults can go through really quickly. But if we're gonna treat a kid with something, it has to go through enormous amount of testing before it is even rolled out. And even then, you know, a lot of times it's provisionally approved and, and there's more data that has to be collected. And, and there's reason for that. You know, it's like you you want to protect the kids. Adults are done growing. Um, there's so much to a growing body, a growing brain, a growing system in a kid that you may not recognize the, the side effects until they're in their adulthood. So, so I understand why the FDA is so, again, sort of stingy about recognizing um, or, or allowing some of these other treatment options to, to come through. Um, the other thing about pediatric cancer is that the numbers are smaller. 
So if you look at the numbers that they're treating in the adult world, I mean, again, if you take somebody from the age of 20 to the age of 80, that's 60 years of adulthood that you may develop XYZ cancer. But we're looking at kids and that number goes down substantially. So when you're trying to find um, a, a sample source that you're using in order to test these, these chemotherapeutic drugs or you know, biologics or everything, your, your sample size is a lot smaller. So if the FDA says you have to have a thousand before you can even apply for approval, you can imagine that that time course is a lot longer because you're going to have um, less of that, that in that number. Um, but having said that, I think that with new technology that we're getting, so um, for instance, genetic testing, um, you know, Tiffany, I, can, I know in your field, you, you know, you test the cancer you test what the genetics are in the cancer so that then you can know what's going to be the best protocol for that particular cancer. So I'm hopeful that that kind of thing is, is starting to roll out with pediatric cancers as well. And, and we've already seen that with ALL. You know, ALL 50 years ago was, you know, probably more universally fatal than it is now. Now it's considered curable. So, you know, there is advancement that has happened um, you know, do I think that there's enough research and attention that's going to pediatric cancer? No, probably not. But again, I mean, look who's paying the bills. It, I mean, it's the same joke that we have about, yeah. prostate, have about prostate cancer, that, you know, if, if, men, if women got prostate cancer, you wouldn't have a cure. But because it's men that, you, you know, you, you're working towards that. Um, so I think that that's, that's one of the issues that we're dealing with is, you know, kids, kids don't demand as much attention as somebody who is, has money, you know? So that's, that's going to be the time. I think that that is a fantastic answer. So is there anything that you would like to add or add, um, further discuss and let people know about? I mean, I think that as a parent, um, you know, listen to your kids, pay attention. Um, even if something seems a little bit odd, trust your instincts. So if something doesn't match, then be the squeaky wheel. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. And I mean, I think people are afraid. They're like, oh, I don't want to be a bother. Oh, you know, they're going to get mad at me if I bring this up again. And the answer is no, you have to advocate for your child. So if you serious, if you think that there is something wrong, then you keep searching. Now, I mean, obviously there's going to be parents out there that have created something that isn't there, but I would much rather go through, you know, those tests to show them 100% that, that there isn't anything there than them sitting at home and just not mentioning anything because they don't want to bother me. Um, you know, we're all in this together. We're all trying to make our kids as, as healthy and, and live their full potential as long as that life is, is supposed to be. Um, so don't hold back. Don't be afraid. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Okay. So, you know, tell me, Hey, I, I think we need to do this. And if I agree with you, or there's some science behind it, you know, that, that may be the, the course of action. If I think that, you know, that's more harm than good, then, then I'll explain my reasons for, for denying it. Um, but then we're always going to follow up. So, and, and sometimes if you don't get the, the right answer from the per first person, go get a second opinion. Again, that's what you need to do because just because they have doctor in front of their name doesn't mean they're good. So go and find somebody else who 
gives you that second look. And if the second look shows you the exact same thing as the first one, then maybe that was right. If it's completely different, then you may be onto something and you need to, you know, kind of go, go along that chain until you find the conclusion that you need. Well, uh, I know for me, I have, turned, I have learned so much already and I'm so, so thankful for everything you've already taught us. Quite a journey, you know, that we had with Nora, but you know, I'm still learning every single day. There's not a day that goes by that we don't learn something new. And so I'm so grateful for you taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure. I mean, can we just take a second and give Dr. Cannon a virtual round of applause? This interview was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. Our goal is to help educate and bring awareness for pediatric cancer. We hope you were able to learn something today. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the show and leave us a review. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you. This podcast is going to be full of information and entertainment. You may laugh with us or at us, cry or possibly both, but we hope you will join us on an unexpected fight. Don't forget to visit our website at norazwarriors.com or follow us on any of the social media platforms.